You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. everybody how you doing man it's so awesome to see so many faces in this building and and as we get a chance to open up a little bit more and see people coming back in it's so awesome to see you here so I just want to welcome you and say thank you so much for joining us today and if you're watching online we're so glad that you tuned in today as well and we just want to say thank you for joining us this week 
Um, now, this week, we're jumping into a new series called Go. And if you were listening to the lyrics of the first song, it's talking about running to the light and really running towards those things that we're called to. So whether you're new in the faith, you're experienced, or maybe you're still figuring things out, there's sometimes in our life where we have this gut feeling or, or just the, these dreams that are placed within us that we know we have to chase. And so we're going to be talking about how we can be equipped to chase after those things that we're called to do, whether it's sharing the gospel or chasing after after those dreams or planting new seeds within our life. And so we're excited to join in with you in that this week. My name is Aaron Jones. I'm the worship arts director here at the Clinton Township campus. And I get the opportunity to share some of the exciting things that are happening um, in our community. And one of those things you've heard us talk about in the past couple of months, and that's volunteering. And volunteering is so huge. And you're probably wondering, why is this important? Well, it can make this huge place seem like a small knit family. And I can assure you that this is the place where you find family when you jump in and serve. And it's not just up here on the stage. It's not just behind cameras, there's so many different opportunities for you to jump in, whether it's greeting at the door, helping out in K-Kids, or even standing out at the hub and just sharing different information with people that are interested in finding out what's next. Now, uh, we have something coming up this week that is very exciting for me. I love to talk about it because it's something that I enjoy, and it's our midweek service. Now, we have midweek once a month at this campus every third Wednesday, and this is an opportunity for us to dive a little bit deeper in our faith and dive a little bit deeper in the message and worship. And this week, we're going into our last week of the series, Lessons on the Lake, where Jesus talks to his disciples and talks to them about equipping them with what they need to go through storms. And so I know that I can say that there's so many storms that I've experienced in my life, and I'm looking forward to finding out what those things are that we need in order to make it through. So I want to invite you, not just yourself, but also bring somebody back with you um, to join us this Wednesday for midweek. Uh, every year, we get the opportunity to do something for our kids. So if you're a kid or you have kids, listen up. We have vacation Bible school that we do at the end of June. Now, two years ago, we had this stage decked out in Mario theme. There was Super Mario Brothers everywhere. There was a Koopa Troopa up here. There was a little block for you to hit. And so I'm looking forward to all the things that we're going to be doing for this upcoming VBS. It's going to be a really fun time. We have so many activities that you can engage in and so many different crafts that the kids can jump in. So this isn't just for people here. This is also for people in the community. So if you know some people um, that are looking for programs for their kids, they can go to our website and find out more information or you can go out to the lobby and talk to our K-Kids team to get more information on that. Now you're probably listening to me and saying I'm going at full speed and talking really fast. That's because they give me a limited amount of time to say a bunch of stuff. So if you forget anything, there is an area for you out in the, in the lobby. It's called the hub and there's people out there with orange shirts that are waiting to greet you and remind you of any of the things that you were interested in and want to know and sign up for. Now also if you're new here and this is your first time coming, we have a gift for you out there as well. We just want to say thank you for joining us and just want to welcome you uh, into our family. Now, if you've been paying attention to the news over the past week, you've probably noticed the rising tension and conflict in the Midwest. And you may or may not know, but one of our 11 um, global partners are in that region. And that global partner is the Bethlehem Bible College. And the Bethlehem Bible College equips and strengthens the local churches. 
Now, we've taken a few trips over to the Middle East in the past couple of years, but we thought it would be important for us to take a moment in our service to pray for our partners, and not just for uh, the Bethlehem Bible College, but to pray for all the other ministries. There's so many other churches that have people over there that are serving and, and really just serving the people over there. So let's take a moment to pray. God, we thank you for who you are. We know that you're loving. We know that you're strong. We know that you're mighty, but we also know that you're a God of peace. And so, God, we pray right now for a calming in the midst of chaos. God, we pray for strength and for safety over all of our uh, partners that are over there serving and, and serving the local churches and serving the people. And we also pray for the safety of the people in the Middle East. God, we pray for peace. We pray for calming, God. We trust that you can do that. We know that you can do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, whether you believe it or not, we have been in the middle of a panorama these past 14 months. Now, as COVID continues and as things start to pick up, there's an ever-changing reality that happens in our daily lives. And so we know that our team has come together and they, we've put together a COVID task force at the beginning of those 14 months. And they were put together to really come up with protocol to make sure that everyone in this building was safe and make sure that our community is safe together. And so beginning this Sunday, they have made the mandate, you might have been signed up for the email and you saw it, that it is no longer required for you to wear a mask according to the new uh, information that the CDC has put out. And so we know that this is a decision that you have to make for yourself. It's a personal decision. And we know that sometimes you have to make those decisions to keep yourself and your family safe. And we do ask that you continue to do that. But it is not a requirement for you to have that in the service. We are still asking for our K-Kids team and our staff to still wear the mask just to maintain that protocol. But this is a personal decision that you can make. And we just want to say thank you for all of you who have been going along with us and just bearing with us as we go through this time. And we're looking forward to all the things that God is going to do as we start to go into the summer and things start to open up and just the different things that we'll be able to do within our community. Now, like I said, we are in a new series called Go. And so we put together this bumper video to tell you a little bit more about it. So when you think about being a follower of Jesus, you can't help but deny that that means so many different things. It means being loving, being patient, being generous, being fearless. But one of the things that it's not, frankly, is being stagnant. Status quo is not something that Jesus taught, and it's not how he ever lived. In the book of Matthew, when you get to the end of it, you can read some of Jesus' words when he was teaching some of his followers. And what he once said to them was, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you, even to the very end of the age. I think one of the words in that verse and that teaching of Jesus that deserves attention is the word go. It is a small word, but it is a powerful word. What does it look like for us to bring the good news of Jesus to our friends and our neighbors? Why is starting new churches so important? And where do we fit into that work? Will we raise our hands when God asks, who do I have? Today, God is still on the move every bit as much as he ever has been in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces, across the state, the country, and frankly, all four corners of the earth. And he is inviting you and I, us together, to be a part of what it is that he's doing. Let's go. Okay, ready to go? Well, that was so unconvincing. Well, we've got four weeks where we're going to be talking about what it means to go, and it's going to look different for every one of us, but I'm really super excited about this series 
And I hope you'll join us for all four weeks, either here or else we want to welcome you online. I'm the other Craig. There's two Craigs. Isn't that interesting? You get two Craigs this morning. But as Craig said, it really is the impulse of the gospel, the good news to go. And as we start out, before we dive into the message today, I wanted to uh, just give you an update. And we're going to do it by way of video. One of our new, actually, it's our newest global partner. We have 11 global partners. And the one that we told you about in December of 2020 is called the Timothy Initiative, or TTI. And we want to update you throughout this series and let you know how that's going and what we see God doing through that. So check this out. Back in December 2020, I had the privilege, along with Jay Lucarelli, our global partner director, with introducing all of you to our newest global partner, the Timothy Initiative. Now, this partner is unique compared to our other 10 ministry partners around the world. All of our global partners have always been a specific location with one point person. For example, in Kenya, it's Julius Murgor. India, it's Jaya Sankar. And of course, Nepal is Ramesh Sapkota and on and on. But with this new relationship being formed, it's partnering with an organization rather than just an individual. And this organization is known as the Timothy Initiative. Now, we are thrilled to partner with this amazing initiative because they are passionate about spreading the good news of Jesus through making disciples and planting multiplying churches. So let me do my best to try and describe what that actually means. A disciple, as many of you know, is simply this, a learner, a student, an apprentice of a teacher. And in this case, it's someone who is learning the teachings and practicings of Jesus, not only learning the ways of Jesus, but actually living them out. And as they're learning, and living out the ways of Jesus, they will also be sharing and starting and planting new churches. A few disciples plant a church, and then over time, God grows that community to be a place of hope and love and healing. And then out of that community, God sends another person to disciple more and then plant other churches with the goal of fulfilling what God would call the Great Commission, to go to the ends of all the earth with the good news of Jesus. With the Timothy Initiative, you're also going to hear three names from the Bible. Paul, Timothy and Titus. Now, most of us have heard of the Apostle Paul, who's credited with writing a majority of the New Testament. And then there's Timothy and Titus. Now, these men spent many years with Paul, learning the ways and life of Jesus through the life of Paul. And they also traveled with Paul to many places throughout the region of their time. And what did they do? They started churches. They were disciples and they were church planters. And so right now, we are going to hear just one, one story of thousands of stories of someone who discovered a relationship with Jesus because of the work that God is doing through this brand new global partner, the Timothy Initiative. Let's take a look. My name is Kabir. I come from the countryside. My family was very poor. Seven of us lived in a mud hut. And every time it rained, water poured into our house, causing us trouble. There were many sleepless nights. Our neighbors and relatives laughed at us, teasing that they prayed for the gods to send more rain. It made us cry. We were so ashamed. My parents wanted to break the cycle of poverty, so they worked very hard to put me through school. I completed my education to be a teacher, but was unable to find a job. My parents and I wasted all our money visiting Hindu priests and witch doctors, hoping they could help, but nothing changed. Without a job, my family still suffered in poverty. I was discouraged and depressed. During this time, a friend visited me and told me about Jesus. I hated Christians, so I kicked him out of my house telling him never to come back. 
Thankfully, he didn't listen. He persisted until I agreed to go to church with him. That's where I met TTI church planter Rovin, and my life changed forever. What Rovin shared from the Bible touched my heart. The miracles I heard about and witnessed at the church were unlike anything I had ever seen. Little did I know I would personally experience a miracle that very week. One night, my father ran into the house crying. Our cows, our only source of income, were dying. They got entangled in each other's chains and were choking to death. We ran outside and found them lying on the ground, bleeding. We tried desperately to free them. We tried to loosen the chains, but we couldn't. We began crying. If the cows died, we would have no way to provide for our family. We called out to our Hindu gods for help. Nothing happened. Then I remember what I had witnessed at Rovin's church. Miracles. I didn't know Jesus. I didn't know how to pray. But in desperation, I said in my mind, Jesus, if you are the real God, help us. Set our animals free from these chains and save them. The moment I said this prayer, their chains broke. The cattle stood up and the blood stopped flowing. I was amazed and wondered, who is this Jesus who hears prayers before even I speak them out loud? I had to know him. I gave my life to Christ, and Rovin started discipling me and invited me to join TTI's training. I was so blessed through the training I received. I learned more about Jesus, how to study the Bible, and the importance of making disciples. I loved seeing people come to Christ and have their lives transformed. I not only wanted to make disciples and plant churches myself, but teach others how to do the same, so we could reach our whole area with the gospel. So I became a TTI trainer and leader. As the ministry grew, I was given the responsibility to oversee all of the work in my area. I was amazed by what God has done. A guy who knew nothing about Jesus and nothing about the Bible is now in full-time ministry, training others how to help make disciples and plant churches among unreached people groups. You know, I had the great honor, as I've shared before, of being involved in the very first Global Partner in the year 2000 when we started it. It was our very first one that was in India. That, that's more in central or southern India. And now our most recent Global Partner is also in India, in northern India. And uh, that's, that's kind of an interesting story, right? You ever think you hear a story of a miracle where cows are set free from chains? But having made 20-some trips to India, I'm never surprised by what I see or experience there. And to th think about this man who was a professing Hindu in this moment of crisis, praying to Jesus and having Jesus hear that prayer and respond, it's really extraordinary. So just a really quick update on what we're doing. We're going to talk about this for the next four weeks a little bit. But um, in, we have now partnered with six other churches in, in the Detroit area. And I absolutely love this part of it because it's showing our unity together, different congregations, different denominations, but coming together to engage uh, with the Timothy Project in northern India. And we have a very specific goal. We are going to help start, and by the way, these churches come into a community and they not only make God's love known, but they really press into the needs of the community and to try to, try to break the cycle of poverty. So they come in holistically into these communities and plant these churches, and we're going to be involved as seven churches together planting 3,333 churches. Now, anybody curious why that number? 
Seems like a weird number, right, to have? Well, the goal is to plant uh, that many churches at $300 per church, and that's what it costs for a church to be started and to be sustainable in that new community. There's a great strategy behind this. So if you do the math, that amounts to about a million dollars. So we set a goal as seven churches together of a million dollars that we're going to raise, and our part is going to be to plant a thousand of those churches just from our congregation. And, and it costs $300 for every church to be planted. So there's no ask today. We're not going to ask you for anything today, but just begin to pray about that and what part you might be as a family or individual to plant a church in northern India where we bring the message of God's love. Um, so I want to take just a moment um, before we dive into the message today to take our offering um, up. And I want to give you an update on the other uh, thing that we're doing in India right now, which is responding to COVID-19. And your generosity has been absolutely overwhelming to us. And uh, the hospital is full. Every bed is full. We brought in more beds. Every square inch that we can use, we can use. We're uh, treating the most serious COVID-19 patients in that part of India. Um, I did find out just about 30 minutes ago that one of our key leaders there, he's really Jaya's right-hand man, uh, Naveen, is now sick with COVID-19. And to lose him would be a, a great loss to this ministry and to the work that's there. And so if you could just think of the name Naveen, and pray for Naveen that he will recover from COVID-19. So again, thank you for your partnership with us in all the ways. You know, one of the issues here in this church, as God has blessed Kensington for over 30 years now, is we have a stewardship responsibility to care for each other, to learn to love and care for each other, but also for our community and to extend even around the other side of the world. And so you can see the ways that you can give. If you're here with us, you can drop a gift on your way out or you can text the number you see there on the screen, or you can email, or you can mail it in, or you can go to our website. So we make it real easy. Lots of ways to give. Thank you again for your partnership and your generosity. That's really changing the world. So Go Series. And some of you are thinking, is this going to be like an evangelism message? Because that word just scares people. Like evangelism. It scares people who are being evangelized. And it scares people who are supposed to be evangelizing. So we're going to unpack that in just a little bit. But I want to start back 2,000 years ago where this all began, where Jesus came into the world announcing what he called a new kingdom. It was a new kind of kingdom. And the message was that God loves you, every one of you, and there's a way to live that's better than the way that we're living. And in his teaching, he unfolded the message of the kingdom, the values of the kingdom, and the fact that you can have a relationship with God that can be close and intimate, and that God can work in your life and through your life. And so that was the initial message and then after his death and resurrection, he um, gathered the disciples together. And this is, uh, you saw on the screen earlier in Craig's video, the version from Matthew's gospel. But this is found in the gospel of Mark. It's Mark 16. And here's what he says. Very, very simply, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now, right now, some of you are saying, well, this is not for me because I'm not a preacher. And that's not what that actually means. I, it's unfortunate that they translated that word preach because it could be translated other ways. It could be simply tell or share or proclaim. It's, this is not about giving a sermon to someone. And the focus is the good news because that's what the kingdom of Jesus is. is it's really, really good news for everyone. And I have to ask you, do you have trouble sharing good news with people? Like if you experience something new that you love or something exciting, do you struggle to share that with someone? Absolutely not. In fact, what we do today is we go right to our phones and we go to Facebook. We take a picture of it. We put it on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever, we, whatever you prefer. We want to share the good news with people. 
if it's a new restaurant you went to and the food is great, you, you want to share it with people, but you also want to get them to go and see for themselves, right? You got to try this out. You got to check it out. I remember uh, all my life, one of the things I wanted to see was the Grand Canyon. I looked, pictures of, I looked at pictures of it. I knew statistics about it. It looked amazing, but I've never been there. So six years ago, I was at a conference in Phoenix, and I took an extra day and went up to the Grand Canyon and went with a friend, and we hiked all the way down to the bottom and back in the same day. I do not recommend that. But it was absolutely beautiful. And every switchback, I had my camera out snapping pictures. And I'm, you know, until I lost my signal, when I got deep in the canyon, I'm sending them to my kids and to my wife and my friends. And I'm just saying, this is like unbelievable. It's not, it's not the same. You got to actually be here and experience it. So I've been on this bandwagon for a while of trying to get my family. Somehow, my kids are all grown. We got to go to the Grand Canyon and we got to go together because I want to be there and I want to see your face when you see and walk the Grand Canyon. Because we did all our vacations on the water. We never went out west. So during the pandemic, we ended up out on the West Coast, all my kids, grown kids, we ended up together, and then we eventually, in May, about a year ago, we were traveling back to come back to Michigan and eventually New York, and I said, we got to make a trip to the Grand Canyon. It's not exactly on the way, but we're never going to be this close. we got to do it. And so we finally, um, about a year ago, made it to the Grand Canyon. i got a picture here to show you of my family. So I'm zooming in. It's my daughter, my two sons, my wife, and we even have the dog there. He doesn't look too excited about it. I think it made him a little nervous, but uh, it was an amazing experience, and I had the joy of actually being with them and seeing them respond to the beauty, and we, we hiked down just a, a couple miles and then back up. It was an amazing day. I just had to share it with them. That's the way it is with good news. When you have good news, it's just natural to want to invite people to experience it as well, and so as we begin the Go series, we're going to look today, I'm just going to give you a little roadmap of where I'm going. We're going to look at four stories uh, very briefly in the Gospels that I think show us, maybe as clear as anything I've ever seen before, what Jesus had in mind when he said to his disciples, because those words for us as well, I want you to go and I want you to share the good news. What does that actually look like? So we're going to look at four stories. And the first story is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. In fact, when we began our midweek series in February called Lessons on the Lake, this is where we started. You can find it in Luke chapter 5. I'm just going to sum it up for you. So Jesus is teaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's behind him. He's got a crowd that's gathering. And over here on the side are some fishermen who have been fishing all night. And they came back with nothing. This is not recreational fishing. This is, this is their work. This is their job. This is their livelihood. And we're told, Luke tells us that they came in, they caught nothing. Zero, not one fish. And so that's not just disappointing. That's devastating. That's how they pay the bills. That's how they put food on the table. So they're over there washing their nets. Jesus is teaching. The crowd is pushing Jesus back into the water. So he asks Peter, calls Peter over. They didn't know each other. He says, can I use your boat and push offshore so I can continue to teach? So Peter agrees, gets in the boat. Jesus is in the boat now teaching. And when he gets all done, he turns around to Peter, who was a captive audience. We don't know what Peter here heard exactly, but Jesus said to him, Cast, uh, push offshore now. Let's go out where it's deeper and let's, let's catch some fish. Being an experienced fisherman, Peter knew that there were no fish to be caught. If they were going to catch them, they would have done it at night. Mid-morning now is the worst time to fish. But for some reason, he obeys. He says, because you say so, I will. And so he put the net down, and when he pulled it up, it had so many fish that nets were tearing. He had to call his friends out in another boat. They filled two boats with fish. Extraordinary moment for Peter. Changed his life, really. When they came into shore, Peter, we're told, fell on his knees before Jesus and said, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. He knew there was something extraordinary about this Jesus. He didn't have it all figured out, but he knew there was something there and he didn't feel like he even belonged in his presence. 
Here's how Jesus responds to him. It wasn't what Peter expected to hear. He said, Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore. They left everything and they followed him. Right at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, we see these words. And it tells us what God is up to in this whole story. And this is what the good news is. God is looking for you. He's looking for everyone. God is fishing every single day. He's fishing right now. Even in this auditorium, even in all the homes you're watching online, he's fishing. And why is he fishing? Because he loves every person, wants every person to understand the beauty of the kingdom that Jesus started. A place where you can find love and joy and peace and wisdom and discernment and support and comfort and help and to form a community that would do that. So he's always fishing, but here's the key. And this is what this series is about. The way God fishes is through people. Almost exclusively. There are some exceptions. I've seen some in India, actually, where the word came without a a human being delivering it. But God uses us. He uses people. And that's what he was saying to Peter. I've got a new job assignment for you, and that is you're going to come and you're going to join me in fishing for people. And so Peter followed him. And for the three years, he was training how to fish for people. Now, most of us are not going to be called to leave our jobs our livelihood, our, the places that we live to go fish for people. But everyone that says, I'm following you, Jesus, is called to be a fisher of people, to go and fish for people. So that's the first story. Now, as this unfolds, I want you to listen for a phrase that's going to become very apparent that, to me, breaks us down into the simplest of terms, in terms of what we're supposed to actually be doing. And this whole idea of evangelism, which I'm going to unpack in just a few moments. In fact, let's do that now, because I can see the tension on your face. Is this an evangelism message? Because the word is scary. I want to tell you how I got introduced to it. So I I went to a Christian college. It was a pretty strict, I would call, conservative Christian college, and we were um, trained to evangelize. And so this is in the early 70s, so you got to try to understand the context. A lot of you that are younger have seen pictures of this. I'm going to show you one. So there were the hippies right? And then there were the Jesus freaks. And since I couldn't be a hippie, I decided to be a Jesus freak. And that meant that we were so radically sold for Jesus, and we're going to go out and preach the gospel, and we're going to make converts. And so I, living in Michigan at the time, I actually went downtown Rochester and stood on the street corner waiting for the light to change so people could cross. And I had a big cross around made of cast iron, must have weighed five pounds. With, it was a leather lanyard. And, and I had a Bible in my hand, and I'm preaching the gospel. And I want to show you a picture of what I looked like. This is a family picture. The guy in the yellow shirt, that's me. What would you do if you were crossing the street and a guy looking like that walked towards you with a Bible in his hand? You'd probably do what most of them did, which is try to avoid me. I look back and I'm so worried. I pray, God, how many people did I convert into atheism and agnosticism <laughs> through doing this on the street? And, and, the, and the idea there, by the way, was, that, was this. This is what I was told. Maybe you've heard this before. When you share the gospel... The good news of Jesus, it mostly was about he died for your sins and you go to heaven when you die if you accept him or you go someplace else if you don't. Do you want to accept Jesus right now? And we, we were taught that you got to do it all in the moment because what happens if they leave and they get hit by a bus and they die? Then you missed your opportunity. So you got to do it all in one deal. Here's the thing I want to say from the outset, just to challenge that thinking a little bit. And I believe people come to faith in Jesus in that way, but I don't think that's really what Jesus had in mind 
as a primary way. Because I don't see Jesus doing that at all in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four stories of his life. I see him engaging people where they were at, what their needs were, having conversations that often sometimes didn't even go to spiritual things. He healed the ten lepers and they all walked away. One came back and had a deeper conversation with him. I don't see Jesus worried that if he didn't get it all done in one moment, they were going to walk away, get hit by a camel, and die. He seemed to be okay with a process, that there's a process. So the next three stories we're going to look at, I want you to see what I believe the process to be. And it's right there, right from the beginning. And we're going to look at this in the Gospel of John. So the next story is um, Jesus, on the, ne- uh, the next day, John was there. This is John the Baptist with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. So they left John, began to follow Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said, Come, and you will see. I want you to focus on the words of that sentence, Come and see. Come and see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. And actually, that's not entirely true because, well, they did spend that day with him, but they ended up spending three years with him. The day went into three years where they followed him and stayed with him. But Jesus invited them to come, and I'm going to take some liberty with this, but come and investigate. Come see for yourself. Come experience what's going on here. Come peek into the kingdom that I'm talking about. Come and you know, at some point you're going to have to make a decision, but come and investigate. It was a very, what I would call, polite invitation. And what they saw that first day must have so enamored them that they never, they didn't leave. They stayed all through the whole journey with Jesus. And so think about those words, to come and see. Now the next story happens right away. This is also in John chapter 1. And this involves another person who makes an invitation. The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And then look what Philip does. Right away, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? See, right away, Nathanael was skeptical. And so what does Philip say? Does he give a great argument? From the law of Moses? No, here's all he says. Come and see. Come and see. Come and investigate. Come and see for yourself who this Jesus is. You need to experience it yourself. And so Jesus invited his first followers to come and see, and then one of his first followers, Philip, invites Nathaniel to come and see. And the story continues in the Gospel of John. We move now to John chapter 4. One of the great stories in the Bible of the woman at the well that Jesus engaged with while the disciples went into town in Samaria to get food. And the conversation, it's worth reading in John chapter 4 if you have some time today, but he ends up talking deeply about this woman's, her life and the struggles she was having, the problems she was encountering, and he offers her living water. And she gets totally blown away by this conversation. And so here's what she does. Listen for the words again. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, what does it say? Come on, what does it say? Come see 
a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? See, she didn't know yet. She wasn't a convert. convert. She wasn't a committed follower of Jesus. But in her, her own experience with Jesus, so touched her and challenged her and made her curious about him that she had to go tell other people. And if, you, if any of you are watching The Chosen um, series that's out there right now, I love this episode where you show this woman, she's like driving everybody crazy. I'm not, I'm not encouraging that, by the way, but she's going through this town saying, oh, you got to come and see, you got to come and see. What she didn't do is she didn't take a class on evangelism. She didn't go to seminary or Bible college. She didn't memorize the Bible. She didn't come up with a technique to try to get people to come to Jesus. She said, I've experienced something that is, was so incredible that I can't help myself. I got to tell you, you got to come and see. You got to come and see. And so this is the way it is with good news, as I said. When you have good news, you have to share it. And so Jesus invited the first disciples to come and see. And then one of those disciples, Philip, went to his friend Nathaniel and said, come and see. And then early on in this story, we have this woman who encounters Jesus, and she tells people her story and says, you have to come and see. And so that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about turning everybody into a preacher. We're, not talk- we're certainly not talking about getting you to go to the corner in Rochester, Michigan and scare people and chase them away. We're saying that our, the invitation that we have, really the invitation from Jesus himself is, would you go invite? Would you share the good news? Would you invite people to come and see? And I will tell you, I have a bias about this, and it's my own bias, so I'm going to own this. I'm not speaking for anybody except Craig right now. But when I look at the Gospels again and I see how Jesus interacted with people and how, how kind he was to people and how engaged he was with people, um, we've somehow lost it and turned it into this. This is how I was trained in evangelism. In one moment, you have to get people to pray the prayer. And when they, quote, pray the prayer, now they're in. If you don't pray the prayer, you're out. And I, again, just, just to be clear, I think people come, have come to faith that way. I did as a young child. But I believe that what we're encouraged to do in sharing the good news is to say, something really incredible has happened to me. And because I care about you, I'd love to share it with you. Would you come and see? And, and there, there's an invitation to do that. Um, I'm going to ask you a question. If you know the Bible at all, if you know the gospel stories, Jesus had 12 disciples. When did he, I like to call it, when did he pop the question? Which is the question that I was trained in evangelism. Who is Jesus? Can you confess him as Savior and Lord? When did he ask them the question? He didn't ask at the beginning. He said, come and follow me. And see, that following is investigating. And eventually, if you, be, if you follow and you meet Jesus in a deep way, you start really following. You start shedding stuff. He becomes your life. But it's a process. You know when he popped the question? Almost three years into it. He trained them. He taught them. They went with him. They were together 24-7. And then in Matthew, you see this in Matthew 16. When, when Jesus uh, said to the group now, he said, who do you say that I am? And see, sometimes we think we have to start there. Who do you say Jesus is? And then once you make the confession of faith, then, then, then you're part of the community and we're going to train you. Jesus was training his disciples, and they think about all that they experienced. I mean, for crying out loud, they saw dead people come back to life. I mean, more than goats, or cows rather, getting away from chains. They saw, and you know, Peter walked on water. They had, they had a couple experiences with multiplying loaves to feed many people, and all of this. See, that was part of the come and see experience for them. And so really the heart of this good news message we have is to have experienced it ourselves. We have to tell. We have to tell others. We have to invite them 
Come and see for yourself. Now, is there anything we can do besides that? I'm glad you asked that question. There is something we can do. Because we have to come and see ourselves first. And like the disciples, be engaged in transformation. That makes our invitation carry weight. When we are in a transforming relationship with Jesus, um, in the Gospel of Mark, there's this verse, and you know sometimes there are things that we, we, we miss stuff. I miss stuff so easily when I'm reading Scripture, and then for some reason, at some point, it dawns on me there's something else here, and this is one of those verses. Um, in Mark chapter 3, uh, we're told that Jesus appointed the 12, this is the 12 disciples, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. And I will confess that my mind always rushed to the end of that sentence where he sent them out to preach. But what does it say right in the middle? What did he, why did he invite them? That they might be with him. Jesus wasn't just recruiting workers to go out and do stuff. He was recruiting the community to be in relationship. And in that community to be transformed by Jesus, that being with him is really critical to everything we're going to talk about the next four weeks. Like going is what you do when you've been with him. And you go because you have his heart and he's changing you. So this being with him is really the key to everything. And I'm going to break it down into two, uh, two sentences or two phrases that are going to sound kind of strange. This is what you need to do. If you want to be used by God to bring people into his kingdom, you need to do two things. And they're going to sound weird. You ready? You need to be attractive. You need to smell nice. I'm glad you're laughing. It is kind of funny. But I'm serious. Now, it requires some definition. But you need to be attractive and you need to smell nice. Because the great power that any of us have to ever influence anyone about anything is who we are. Louder than the come and see invitation is what we're saying with our lives. We need to be attractive, and we need to smell nice. Let me show you where I get this from. So in, um, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus said this. He said, No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. The first thing someone's going to see that, that you might be inviting to come and see is you. They see you before they see Jesus. They see me before they see Jesus. So if I'm a real jerk in my neighborhood and at workplace or whatever, and then as a follower of Jesus, I'm supposed to be inviting people. I say, come and see. They're going to say, I don't want what you want. I don't want to be like you. And so Jesus is saying that we need to be light. That's the attractive part of it. We need to be attractive to people, just like Jesus was, by the way. He was called a friend of sinners. What that means, and that was a nickname the Pharisees gave him, the religious leaders who didn't like Jesus. Oh, you're a friend of sinners. That, I think he got a T-shirt made and a button that he wore that said friend of sinners because I think he wore that as a badge of honor. Like the people farthest from God loved being around him. He attracted them like a moth to a flame. So we're to be attractive. And in Matthew, he says it even stronger. He says, no one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. I'm sorry, that's what I already read. Let your light shine before men, before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light shine so they will what? See. Not hear. They will see your good works. And then it points them to God. That's the process. Let them see your, and then they'll see God. So the come and see starts with me. 
who I am, the kind of person that I am. I remember um, years ago, living in Washington Township, I, I was trying to invite my neighbor to come and check out Kensington. And she said no, or she never said no. She just smiled, politely nodded, and never came, year after year. And then one year, it was actually the last Easter service I did before I moved to New York City. Uh, it was in 2008. And I'm up here teaching, in this, and I look down, and three rows back, there she is with her family. I was, like, totally shocked. And then I was nervous. <laughs> I told her what a great church it was, and it may have been great, but she hated the teacher. What if, that would be a bad thing. But you know what? As I reflected on that, what I thought was, if I had not been a good neighbor, that would have been a barrier maybe to her ever coming. And God was probably using all kinds of other things in her life to draw her to himself. But I could have been a barrier. And so what kind of neighbor was I? And so, that, so be attractive. Now, what about the smell? That's a strange one, right? So uh, in 2 Corinthians, um, we see this phrase um, from Paul in chapter 2. He says, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal process and uses us to spread what? The aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. It's really the smell of knowing him. It's how, it's the aroma that we put off in our lives. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved. Like, both of these are really two ways of saying the same thing. It's like your life influences. My life influences. More than our words. In fact, have you, have you heard the phrase before? What you, what you say, what you, who you are, how you act, speak so loudly, I can't hear what you say. That's really what the, these verses are saying. We need to be men and women who are pressing into Jesus and allowing the life change to happen to us. We need to smell like the aroma of God. You know, St. Francis is quoted as saying that preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. What he's really saying is that you preach with your life. Words will be necessary, by the way, but, but don't talk. Like, I, don't, I need to stop talking if my life is not reflecting something that would be attractive to people and that would point them toward Jesus. That's what this is saying so for all of us, are we on the journey? Are we on the journey with Jesus? Like his disciples for those years where he's changing us and therefore we become the reason why someone might say yes to an invitation to come and see, to investigate. You know, Gandhi, uh, Gandhi famously said that I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. That phrase, when I first read it, it's haunted me for decades now. And in the context, you know, Gandhi um, was part of the independence of India um, through nonviolence, but he studied the Sermon on the Mount. He, was, he knew the Gospels better than any of us did. And someone once asked him, would you ever consider becoming a Christian? And this is how he responded. I like your Christ, not so much your Christians. We have to change that narrative. Um, there's a true story. Uh, so I worked at the Bowery Mission in New York City, which is started in the 1870s. It's, it's the oldest homeless shelter in the country. It was, it was Jesus-centered. And uh, there was a man there whose name was Joe. And Joe was the worst kind of alcoholic in the sense that he was homeless. He drank all the time. And he would collect money, begging for money. And then he would buy alcohol and he would pass out. He'd come into the mission for food or clothing. He was mean. No one liked to be around him. And this went on year after year. No life changed. In fact, the staff began to say, Joe will never come to faith. He's just too, he's too far gone. And then one day, against all expectations, Joe surrendered his life to Jesus. And maybe their kindness over all those years wore him down. But he just, and when he was in, by the way, he was all in. 
He was changed by Jesus. He became a wonderful man. He would serve anyone. He would do anything. He would clean the bathrooms in the mission. He would clean up vomit. He, would, he was inviting people in. He was kind to everybody. It was, he was that light. He was the aroma, right? So one day, a church was giving a chapel message at the end of the day, and the, the auditorium was filled with men and women who were struggling with addiction and homelessness. And at the end of the message, he was inviting people to consider coming uh, to the front and receiving Christ. And one man made his way to the front, and when he got down, he broke, he got on his knees, and he broke down, and he was literally yelling this phrase, God, I want to be like Joe. God, I want to be like Joe. God, could you make me like Joe? I want to be like Joe. And the, and the preacher leaned over and whispered in his ear, I think it'd be better if you would pray, God, I want to be like Jesus. Wait, and Joe said this, or this man, this man said is he like Joe? <laughs> Man, what a powerful way to illustrate what this is about. It's about being men and women. And this is job one in sharing our faith is who are we? By the way, not perfect, broken. This is not about being inauthentic. In fact, it's more powerful when we can be honest about who we are. But we surrender to the grace and mercy and love of God and he's changing us. Because we will always disappoint people. We'll never get to perfection. And God uses all of us in our imperfections. That's what this Wednesday's midweek service is going to be about. But are we attractive? Are we attracting people to Jesus? So I'm going to give just a couple challenges, and then we're going, to, we're going to finish with a fantastic story that I'm going to show you on video. So for some of you um, today, you're in that someone invited you here or you're watching online, and you may, this may be the first time or maybe it's been three years. It doesn't really matter. You're in the investigation, and that's great. We're so glad you're doing it with us. Press into, take an alpha class. Join it. If you haven't done it, join a men's study or a women's study or do something, but investigate. Come and see, because that's what Jesus is saying. He's not twisting your arm. He's saying, come and see for yourself. Secondly, for, for some of us, um, this is a time to really double down on, on discipleship. Like Jesus said, come and be with me. Are we with him? So he's transforming us. And that's a whole other message or a whole other series in itself. But I was challenged by this again, that I just want to be a man who is, because I'm with Jesus regularly, it's apparent. Right? Then the third thing is, who can you invite? Because that's what sharing the good news is. It's inviting someone to come and see. Maybe inviting them over for dinner or to, to go to a Tigers game so you can see them win in the 10th inning like they did yesterday. It's, it's just building relationship, inviting, come and see, investigate. Now, we're going we're gonna to end with a story that shows the power of this. Uh, I do want to say that we did put a rating on this video. It's about 10 minutes long. It's, it's a PG-13. And what I mean by that is, um, so just parents, I really want you to pay attention here at home. Um, a man will tell his story, his journey of growing up in soccer and, and uh, experiencing abuse at the hands of a coach. coach. It's a very specific kind of abuse. It's not graphic. No details are given, but he uses that phrase, that certain kind of abuse, three or four times. So we just want to alert you to that. But as you watch the story, I want you to think through what we've just talked about. See if you can see this come and see pattern. And not only how it changed one man's life, but how it literally has and continues to change thousands of lives. So come and see. I loved sports, loved soccer, and it was a huge part of my identity at that time. Um, I was a sensitive little guy when I was nine. 
years old, I went to uh, my first soccer practice of that season, and I met a new soccer coach named Randy, uh, who was different than any coach I had ever had, wasn't related to any child on the team, and didn't seem to know a lot about soccer, if I'm being honest. Um, but he was a very engaging person, a very um, charismatic guy, and he took a particular liking to me, which was great. Uh, we would talk after soccer practice. He would come pick me up uh, on my walks home from school um, regularly. And, uh, and, and what I, I grew to, to truly love him, uh, physically I would be close with him. And uh, over time, Randy began to sexually assault me. Um, and uh, as a nine-year-old boy, uh, I was ill-equipped to handle what was happening after a particular incident um, that was actually a sleepover at the, at the local YMCA where um, Randy sexually assaulted me in a room full of about 100 people while everyone else was asleep. I wanted nothing else to do with Randy, and so I did my level best to try to stay away from him. But I was also very conflicted because of certain things Randy had told me to try to keep me quiet, and so I told no one. And so I carried this burden uh, alone. I carried the burden of having been sexually abused and not trying to stop it, and I carried the burden of after uh, I stopped seeing him and hanging around with him. I saw him uh, in the same place that I used to hang out with him, uh, but there was a different little boy sitting on his lap, and uh, I carried the burden of not telling anyone about that little boy um, for, for my entire childhood. I was watching a TV show on Syndicate of an episode of Different Strokes where they talk about childhood sexual abuse, and I did not know this, that that was the topic, and once it was, um, a lot of emotions came flooding back, and I uh, was in sort of a pool of my own tears, and, uh, but I was home alone, and so I felt safe, uh, and my secret remained safe, until my dad came home unexpectedly that day, and that's the day that I told about Randy um, and everything that had happened to me. Um, Disclosure by me led to uh, Randy's arrest and conviction. It led me uh, to sort of for the first time have others in my life to share my secret. But then life sort of continued on, and I went in through high school and college. I battled depression, um, I, alcohol abuse, mostly though I just really hated myself. And I think what Randy had instilled in me, uh, especially when I saw the other boy on his lap, was how utterly um, replaceable I was and how I um, didn't really matter. I mattered for what I could be used for at that moment and then um, was the kind of person that was free to be discarded. I thought if there was a God who loved me, he would never have let that happen to me. I felt like uh, he was a fraud, essentially. I decided to go to law school because there was a part of me that really uh, had a strong sense for justice. And um, so I went off to law school in California as a sort of test of myself, and I went to law school and did well there. After one stop at private practice, became a prosecutor uh, in San Diego, California. I was a federal prosecutor down there for about three and a half years. Eventually, I um, moved from San Diego to Detroit. And um, in San Diego, I had met my wife, uh, Shanna, and uh, we both worked together, and, uh, but I had got the opportunity to be a prosecutor in Detroit, and we wanted to start a family, so we moved back to Detroit from San Diego and uh, started our family. So I'm a federal prosecutor. Uh, I prosecute 
a variety of cases throughout my career, but all on the federal level, so things like bank robberies, um, internet-based crimes, uh, fraud schemes, public corruption, terrorism, those kinds of cases. Uh, most of my career has been spent, though, prosecuting internet-based uh, sex crimes against children, and uh, I've got the chance to meet a, a bunch of wonderful fellow prosecutors um, and federal agents that I work with. A dear friend of mine named Eaton Brown, who is uh, also a federal prosecutor, uh, she joined the office uh, after I did, and we struck up a friendship pretty early on. She invited me to go to her church, which was Kensington. But I uh, immediately, when she said it, I, in my head, was quickly trying to find the right excuse to say no. I remember saying to him, well, I go to this church that has childcare, and you know, at the time I didn't have children, but I said all my friends who do, rave about it. It's not very traditional, so it's not gonna be anything like what you've probably been to in the past, but you know, if you wanna come check it out. And I left that conversation thinking, there's probably no way he's going to come. Pretty reluctantly, I said yes, and uh, didn't say yes, I just went, I got a cup of coffee and I sat down, and uh, it was unlike anything I'd ever been to before. The whole church service was this, was some songs and this message that I found very relevant to my life. It felt for the first time in my memory, there was a purpose uh, to my life. If I followed Jesus in the most authentic way I could, which was to ask hard questions, which was to read scripture like I wanted to know what it meant, that there might be a, a life for me far beyond the life that I had been living. One Sunday I went to service and my, uh, my wife wasn't there and I dropped my daughter off and uh, we typically meet in the auditorium, but on this day we met in uh, the gym and I had had a frustrating morning. Our pastor, our teaching pastor wasn't there and there was a substitute pastor and I remember being frustrated like that we're in the gym, it's a different pastor. I was sort of grumpy as I sat in that seat and then Dr. Eric Moore gave a message about Peter getting out of the boat and walking on water. And it was one of those moments where I felt like I was the only person there and the only person that was meant to hear this message. It struck a nerve and Dr. Moore asked, why won't you get out of the boat? You have something to offer. And I hadn't told anyone, but I had had this stirring in me that perhaps having been a uh, survivor of childhood sexual abuse and being a prosecutor of those same cases, I had something to offer at trainings and other uh, types of speaking opportunities that I, I had seen and I had gone to, I had been to, and so took a leap and spoke in front of a very small group of prosecutors about what had happened to me. These were prosecutors who did this kind of work like I did. And then that grew to, um, to doing more public speaking uh, at larger and larger trainings. Having people ask me the question, how are you able to be a, to speak about this? How are you able to be a prosecutor after what happened to you? And um, I was able to answer truthfully that I know that it was God's grace that uh, saved me all those different times when I did destructive things, self-destructive things, and all the times I hated myself that he was there patiently waiting for me to um, accept his invitation. And that message was how I ended the first time I ever talked publicly. And then as I would get invited to bigger and bigger events, um, I started ending every message with the hope of Christ. I've now spoken 
in, I think I'm at 32 or 33 states. I've spoken in Greece and in Canada multiple times. I've spoken to audiences as small as 30 and as large as 4,000. Speaking to thousands of strangers and sharing his testimony has been a real encouragement to me for times when I maybe hesitate to share my faith. The person may not accept your invitation, but that might just be one seed in a journey that they're on. I don't know how many seeds were planted in Kevin's life before, you know, we had that conversation and I invited him to Kensington. I'm guessing quite a few. You know, you just don't know where you are in, in a part of that person's journey. Think about when Eaton invited me and the, the path that that set my life on. It, it, and it has so many spider webs, everything from all these people that I've met on the road speaking to obviously a better relationship with my wife and with my kids, with my coworkers. And it all started with that invitation from her. And so I think about the power of the invitation that we can have. You might feel like you don't have the right words, um, but Eaton didn't say anything magical to me. She made a very simple invitation based on something that I had mentioned to her. And that invitation changed my life. And there could be an invitation you could make that could change somebody else's life. And that change for, I know for our family, will be a generational change.
That refrain, I hear you call. That's why we do what we do here every week. This is why our team puts together our service. You hear our voices as we sing. You hear our voices as we teach. But it's really God's voice that we want you to hear. That's our prayer right now that through our time together that you are hearing God say something to you. I'm hoping and praying that there are some where you're hearing hearing Jesus simply say, come and see. You know, in the, in the video you heard Kevin say as, a, as an attorney, I love how he said this. He didn't unpack it, but he said, I, I decided to follow Jesus in the, the only way I could, which meant in, in his investigating mind, he needed to get questions answered. So he dug in. Maybe that's you. Dig in. Is he calling you? Do you hear him calling? Come and, come and see. And I would say to you in, in terms of the story of my life is that it's worth saying yes to that. It's worth pressing into that. And then for, for the rest, I hope that you're hearing Jesus through the power of his word and the power of this story to say, would you go fishing with me? I mean, imagine if Eaton had not just done that simple thing of saying, would you come to Kensington? The trajectory of his life would be so different. And now it's transformed his life, his family, and he's impacting thousands of people. It began with a simple invitation to a friend, come and see. So we hope you're hearing God nudge you in that direction today. Well, we hope you will come back Wednesday night. What are you going to do on a Wednesday night, right? You're going to come and hang out with us. We're going to have some great worship. We're going we're gonna to go back to Jesus again at the Sea of Galilee and see what he has for us. So I hope you will come this Wednesday. God bless. You have a great week.
You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.